So what would be wrong with giving God a day? Let me, let me say this to you. What, what about let's give Sunday back to the Lord? Let me, let me describe it to you. There again, not putting in the under bondage. I'm just wanting us to consider the Christianity that we profess. Imagine a day, imagine a day like this. Imagine that we renew our love for Jesus to such an extent that we make Sunday the Lord's Day again. We begin on Saturday night uh, getting the family excited about going to meet with the fellow believers for worship, for scripture reading, and to experiencing together the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then we begin to wake up early on Sunday morning for breakfast. We have, we have quiet prayer. We have some Bible reading before service. And then we arrive to the house of God with the family, full of expectation, ready to worship and serve the living Lord. And when the scriptures are open, we have an open Bible. We have an open heart. We have a, an attentive mind, ready to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the church. After the service is over, maybe we go out to eat lunch with a fellow believing family in the Lord. We, we spend time there talking about the Lord again, around the, around the lunch table. We talk about the sweet word of God that was preached. We, we talk about the, the precious Savior that we serve. And then afterwards, we go home for a time of resting our body. A nap may be preparing our body for the upcoming week activities because resting our body is a very spiritual thing to do. And then we wake in the afternoon and we, we spend some time reading some great spiritual biography of one of the great saints of the church like Catherine Von Bora, Amy Carmichael I've just mentioned, Charles Simeon or, or Hudson Taylor. And then in the afternoon we, we spend a little more time in quiet prayer and then uh, the Lord may put someone on our heart to call, to pray with, to minister to, to encourage. Or, or maybe in that time of prayer, we get a burden for somebody that's lost that God says, I want you to go talk to them about their eternal soul. And then at home in the evening, before we go to bed, we spend a little time with our family, maybe even playing a game or talking or laughing. And then before we go to bed, we, on the Lord's Day, we have a time of family Bible reading. We, we pray together before we retire for the night. That's just a thought. It's the Lord's day. Doesn't that seem much different than, than trying to run to church and conveniently get there, spend an hour, run out, and just do all the stuff we do the same as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Can't we give him a day? See, if you really want to know what a person believes, just watch the way they live. Because as whatever their fruit is in their life, their fruit will know them by their fruit. It all boils down to one thing. It all boils down to one thing. You say, what is that one thing? Here it is. It all boils down to what a person believes about God. It all boils down to what a person believes about God. The problem of the church today is not that we lack methods. It's not that we lack machinery. We have more machinery, we have more methods than we have in the last 2,000 years. The problem with the modern church is we have forgotten who God is. You may protest and say, no, 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 no. I'm a Bible believer. I, I go to my Bible studies. I have correct doctrinal statement. My response to you would be this. So did the Pharisees who killed Jesus. 
Did they recognize him? Did they honor him? Did they serve him? No, they killed him. So I wonder today, here's a question. I wonder if the modern church is crucifying Christ in our midst all over again, while at the same time we think we're serving him. The Pharisees thought they were serving him. Saul thought he was serving him, and yet they were stamping out the very life they were professing to propagate. When Paul thought he was serving the Lord, Paul thought he was serving Jehovah. But then he met him. Think about it. He thought he was serving the Lord. He was thought he was serving Jehovah. He was a Pharisee. He was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He could probably quote every one of them to you. And yet he was trying to stamp out the very life that he thought he was propagating. And then one day, in Acts chapter 5, verse 8, 9, verse 5, he finally said this Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I wonder if Jesus showed up in our churches today, the singing and all of this, if he showed up in his reality, if we would go, who are you? And he would say, I'm the Lord Jesus. Or like Philip, have I been so long with you and don't you know me? I want you to listen to this quote. Actually, a young man in the church, Taylor Schultz and myself, are reading a book together. I always want to be encouraging young pastors and young ministers. So we're reading a book together. The book is titled, The Knowledge of the Holy. Taylor, I don't know if you've gotten this far, but I want to quote a portion of that book. Now remember what I said. No man lives beyond what he truly believes. Listen to this quote. Here it is. What comes to your mind, uh, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show us or probably show that no person has ever risen above his religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains either high or low thoughts of God. We live by what we believe. Now, for just a few moments this morning, all that was introduction, and Taylor, I did what I told you not to do. I was teaching Taylor about giving an introduction to a sermon And so this week, I took him out to the front porch of this building. And I said, Taylor, when you give your introduction, if I was inviting someone into my house, I said, how long would I keep them on the front porch? Oh, not not very long, he said. I would would simply take the time to invite him, you know, get the person into the house so we could have the meal. So I've actually done what I told you not to do. I've kept you on the front porch much too long, and I apologize for that. But this morning, I simply have three thoughts that I want to give you. And I want us to look at what Paul believed. A man never lives above his belief system. You may say you believe thus and so, but it's really what we believe in our heart that flows out to the fruit and the, the activities of our life, the, the, the way that we live. What if Paul... What did Paul 
believe. Paul believed three things, or many things, but first of all, Paul believed that the gospel completely changes a person. I want you to look at this little text here. This is Philippians 3, 12. Not that I've already attained, I've already perfected, but I press on, and I'm going to pick out some words here, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also, now look at these words, four words, laid hold of me. Christ, this is forceful now. Christ laid hold of me. See, for Paul, redemption had a divine power within it. Salvation had a force in it. It was divine grace that completely captivated his life. It laid, or Christ laid hold of him. See, the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. When Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, and he said, who are you? And he said, I am the Lord. Lord, who are you? He could never be the same again. Real salvation leaves you, in a, leaves you completely transformed. Not perfect. We're always moving toward perfection. But when we met him, oh, the change that he brings in each of our lives. For Paul, the great Christian confession was more than an empty creedal confession. But it was a spiritual reality. Christ Jesus was his Lord. Paul wrote this. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Underscore those words. The Lord Jesus. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is not an empty confession. This is a supernatural experience being born again by the living Savior who's alive from the grave. Paul said again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's sad in our nation that the born-again experience has been reduced to just coming to the front of a building, say these few words. There's no repentance. There's no tears. There's no dealing with God. There's no movement in our soul. And many of those people leave as lost as they came. That is not salvation. Do we need right confession? Yes. Do we need right doctrine? Of course we do. But salvation is an experience with the living Lord, a divine life. The born-again experience is a supernatural transformation. It affects the soul, the mind. It affects the heart of a man in its deepest recesses. It removes the heart of stone. It gives us a heart of flesh. It conquers the old sinful nature. And it parts the divine life within. Holy Spirit life. Peter said it this way. Notice this. His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us unto glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceeding great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. For Paul, it was a life-transforming experience. Now I'm going to quote a man that I would not totally... We agree with his theology, nor would our denomination, but I like his, I like much of it. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Quote, your life as a Christian should make non-Christians question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should cause non-believers to question their disbelief 
about God. He said this in his book called Discipleship. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is the grace without discipleship. Grace without a cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. He said again, and I quote, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. Here's a Lutheran. You would think it's a Pentecostal man here. This is a Lutheran man who had found Christ, who had been gripped by the true born-again experience. True, cheap grace is the, is the deadly enemy of the church. Notice, we are fighting today for costly grace. And I would add, real grace. The grace that the Bible says that transforms a person, that breaks the powers of darkness and unites us savingly to our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I quote again. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. Who will, who will, now he's talking to himself now. God, you, he's talking to you. God will thwart your plans. He says, who will thwart our plans, who will frustrate our ways time and time again, even daily, by sending people across our path with, the, with their demands and their request. We, then, we, we can then pass them by, preoccupied with our own daily tasks, just as the priest perhaps was reading the Bible when he had passed the man who was down by robbers in Jericho. He said, and I quote, when we do that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross raised in our lives. When we pass that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross in our lives to show us the way of God, not our own way, is what counts, end quote. What happened to Paul? Paul's life on the Damascus Road was interrupted eternally. He said these words again. Christ laid hold of me. He owns me. He controls me. I, was com I became completely his. What could we say today about our relationship with Christ? Has Jesus laid hold of you? Does salvation captivate you? Does it constrain you? Are you converted? Is salvation a theory? Or is it a life-captivating reality in your life? When the apostles heard the call of Jesus... They actually left all. Instead of singing about leaving all, they truly left all. Luke says this, after these things, he, he, Jesus, went out. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he left all and rose up and followed me. The old wealthy tax collector found something more glorious than money. Salvation is taking up our cross. There's always a cross for those who will not just say they follow Jesus, but for those who truly follow Jesus, there's always a cross. Listen to these words. May they echo in our hearts today. 
Mark chapter 8 says this, when he had called, his, called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said, so he called us the 12, he called every, all the crowd, and here's what he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what, it will, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with, my, uh, with his Father and his holy angels. Notice the words, deny self, follow me, lose, save. Notice all those words. Those are, those are polemic words. Those are extreme opposite words. What did Paul believe? Paul believed that Christ changes a man completely with his gospel. Secondly, quickly, Paul believed that Christ was of greater worth than all earthly gain. Look at verse 7 and 8. We didn't read those, but I'll read them to you now. But what things were, notice gain, loss, notice these. Notice how many times loss is used. Notice gain. Notice these words. Notice Paul's value system. Notice what Paul really believed. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Not yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I, even, I count them as rubbish that I may gain, uh, gain Christ. To Paul, his loss was gain. How strange is that in our modern world today? How strange is that in modern Christianity that to Paul, his loss was gain. But we've actually lost that theology in the church today. And I attribute it to the inundation of the prosperity gospel that has gripped most churches. One prosperity preacher had the audacity to say this. If Paul had known what we know today, he wouldn't have had to go through all he went through. Who would say that? A prosperity preacher. The great apostle Paul, are you listening? Hear this. The great apostle Paul was poor. He was poor. He had lost everything for Christ. Paul was often found in prison. His body would often hurt from the physical abuse. He was often hungry and didn't have enough food to eat. This is what he did for Christ, to serve Christ. We get a glimpse of this in his writing in 2 Corinthians. Now listen to this. Are they, this is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I, I more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prison more frequent. In deaths often. Five times of the Jews I received 49 stripes minus one. I was, gonna, I was actually going to go get a piece of wood and I forgot to do it. Maybe the Lord didn't want me to do it for time's sake. Do you realize that's a... That's 195 times. 
I was going to get a piece of wood, and I was going to do one, two, three, four. Oh, we're just getting started. 195 times. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, we just got started. We got 185 to go. You see, 195 times stripes from the Jews. Three times I, re- I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. That's 24 hours in the open sea. I've swam in the ocean. And I can tell you it's tough. And it's fearsome. And it's dark. To just be adrift at sea. All because fulfilling the mission of Christ. In journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers. So Paul was robbed at times. In perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. These are all plural. Perils. In perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. In weariness and in toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fasting, often in cold and in nakedness. Beside all these things, what comes upon me daily, what was it? My deep concern for the spiritual state of the churches. Listen to this quote. Christianity, are you listening? Say amen. Come on. Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless. Christianity preaches preaches the infinite worth of what to the world seems worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which seems so valued. If the world understands us as the church, then I question our relationship with the gospel and with Christ. If we are truly the church that we see in the New Testament, I question Our relationship to Christ and his gospel. Are we really the church that he envisioned? Peter said it this way. In regard regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them of the same flood of dissipation. They're speaking evil of you. They don't understand us. They never will understand us. Yesterday I was in the emergency room. And I was there with little sweet Ruth Gray. Almost like a Mother Teresa. Come on, amen? And I looked up on the screen. In, in a, this is in a public waiting room. Sitting with a, a dear mother in the Lord that needed comfort. Holy Spirit comfort. And I looked on a huge TV screen. And what was on there was one step below pornography. It was filth. I looked around that room. I thought, is everyone a zombie? There's not, there's, no one sees this? No one can see what's playing here? I stood up. I walked over to the window and with this loud voice so that everyone can hear me. Ma'am, can we get the filth off the television? Can we please get this off the television? Well, that kind of shook the whole thing up. 
And so then they start moving around and they come out and then she starts saying, we don't have a remote control. I thought, it just takes a finger to push it off, you see. And then, now think about it. So finally they got it off and, I, and, I, and, and then I figured out what was going on. I watched this security guard that was sitting there and I realized it was him. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, he has an unclean spirit. He has an unclean spirit. That's why he's attracted to that on that screen. Because an unclean spirit is trafficking in and out of his life. You know what he did? He got up and left the room. And you know what he did? I think he found another TV to feed his lust. We're different than this world. The world can't understand. Why don't you like that stuff? Hey, everybody's doing it. No, not everybody's doing it. There is a church. That is a holy, beloved people of God that love God truly with all their hearts. They love God and they live what they say they live. They live it in public. They live it in private because the Spirit of God is in us. And then Sister Gray, you know, when I was doing all that, Sister Gray's like, she's like, what's going on? I mean, I'm about to flip a chair over here. And she's like, you know, she's like, look at this. And then she, and then she looked at me. She said, I cannot believe that they had that on that screen. And by that time, I felt like a bear with my hair, you know, my bristles up on my back. Because I got my precious saint of God here. See, we're salt. We're light in a dark world. They're never going to understand us. Paul said, I've suffered the loss of all things. Now think about this. Quickly, Paul suffered. Or Paul rather found something of greater worth than material things. He had discovered the riches of Christ's grace. I thought about this song this morning. So many of you remember this song. It's, it's just simple little chorus, little, little uh, old hymn chorus. It goes like this. Lord, you are more precious than silver. You know, we always sang just the first verse about 4,000 times. And nobody ever knew there was like three other verses. But, it, you know, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. Nothing I desire compares with you. The other verse goes, Lord, your life is divine, eternal. Lord, your life regenerated me. Lord, your life is growing within me until I am fully conformed to thee. Third verse. Lord, your love is wide as the ocean. Hallelujah. Lord, your love is deep as the sea. Lord, your love encompasses the nations. And that is all I want to live in me. Fourth verse. So you know there's a fourth verse. We just did the first one 90,000 times, you know. Lord, your light is shining within me. Lord, your, your light drives darkness away. Oh, glory. Come on. Lord, your light is guiding me onward, preparing us for the coming wedding day. Come on. Amen. Come on. Sing it. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And Lord, you are 
more costly than gold. And Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing that compares with you. Most of our world can't see the incalculable value of our Christ. The rich young ruler chose to remain poor. Did you catch that? Think about it. The rich young ruler chose to remain poor with all of his money. The Bible said he had, Jesus said he had great wealth. But he went away a pauper. One thing you lack, he said to the young man, rich young ruler. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at the word and went away sorrowful. You say, well, Jesus is always going to make everyone happy. Not here, bro. Not here, brother, sister. No, no, no. Here's a sermon that Jesus preached. He was unhappy. Now, there's sermons we preach, and it makes everybody want to shout and dance. But if you're following the Holy Ghost, sometimes you're going to be sad because the Word of God confronts us. Jesus told the young man, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. Went away sad, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said, how hard is it for those with riches to enter the kingdom of God? What did Paul believe? Paul believed the gospel changes a man, comprehensively changes a man from the inside out. Paul believed that Christ was of greater value than any material earthly thing. Last one. Paul believed that heaven was a destination that we must constantly be striving for. I don't believe in a once and done gospel because I don't believe that's the gospel at all. I'm going to preach a sermon very quick here. I'm going to deal with this once saved, always heresy. It's a lie. It's a lie. It has hurt the church. It has killed revival. It has killed sanctification. It's killed holiness. You can't prove it by the Bible. Am I secure? Absolutely I'm secure. I have the Holy Spirit in me. He says, I have a father. He's my father. I'm going to preach it to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. The Bible says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Paul believed that heaven was something worth striving for. 12 through 14. I won't read it all again, but notice the words. But I press, reaching forward. Verse 14. But I press. Any experience that we, hear this, any experience that we claim to have had with God that leaves us without zeal for heaven is not a move of the Holy Spirit in our soul. Paul's zeal for the upward call is not some super saint. Oh, well, you're talking about Paul. He's a super saint. No. No. I can prove it in this text. Put up verse 15, 315, Philippians. Paul talked about pressing. He talked about reaching. He talked about going toward the high calling. And then the church today, because we're so subpar, we haven't seen real Christianity. We haven't seen real people that go after God with all their heart and ready to lose everything for Christ. 
And therefore, we think Paul's some super saint. No, this verse tells me this is the normal attitude that every church member should have. Look at verse 15. Look at this. Therefore, let us, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if any thinks any otherwise, anything otherwise, God will reveal even that to him. In other words, he's saying, this is the mature attitude. This is the normal attitude for every child of God. We ought to be striving toward heaven. Striving toward heaven. Paul believed heaven was something that we strive for, reach for. It's like a runner. I used to run. You can tell I used to run. <laughs> I used to run, you know. Oh, precious memories, how they linger, you know. But we used to run, and, and, and I, I ran the half mile. I seem to be better at that than the, quick, than the short runs. And then you run, you come to that last 100 meters or last 50 meters, and you just strain with everything in you, everything in you. And that's the, that's the picture here. It's out of a race. It's out of a runner. Running, 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 straining. Are we straining toward heaven with everything in us? Straining through the narrow gate. Striving to enter in with everything in us. Stories told. I close. Our musicians are coming. Our singers, would you come, please? Singers and musicians. I'm going to wait before, because I want them to get settled. I want you guys to get settled before I say this last thing. You love Jesus today? Say amen. You love him? Isn't he special? Isn't he the most wonderful thing? I never dreamed that I would be three or four weeks into this year, several weeks into this year, and still be in Philippians 3. I was planning on sharing this on our watch night service. Seriously, I was planning on sharing. I've shared, this is like the third or fourth message, I think the fourth sermon I've shared. I just, I'm camped here with Paul. The story is told about a, a crosswalk sweeper. A crosswalk sweeper. And that's what he did. He, he, sw- he, he, he swept the crosswalk. He kept the crosswalk clean for like a pence. And one day a lawyer came and put his hand on his shoulder. And said, sir, I found you. I want you to know that you are the inheritor of of 10,000 pounds a year. Are you sure? He said. Yes, I am sure. The man took the broom and dropped it. And he never went back to the broom. And that shouldn't surprise anyone in this room. And that's what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. He laid down the old broom. He laid down the riches of this world. Because he found something far greater. He found the riches of Christ. Paul laid down. Paul left the broom on the Damascus Road. He never looked back. His goal now was to enter heaven and at the end of his journey, see the Savior.
face to face. Some of Paul's last words, I end with that. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous just will give me, judge will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also all who love his appearing. I want you to stand with me. Could we sing just a little bit here? Just whatever that the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart right now. Let's just sing a little bit, church, before we pray.